0: Well, all right, welcome. It is time once again to engage in wrong think. And uh, I guess I need to throw this disclaimer out there since it is Election Day. I saw this picture today of uh, Ron Paul. And the caption there said, if your election lasts more than four days, contact a physician. Okay, well, (laughs) point taken. Gary uh, Welch joins me now. Gary, happy Election Day to you.
2: What a t- good time to be a wrong thinker, on, on especially like a day like today. This is the best time to be a wrong thinker.
0: You know, I noticed you you were optimistic. Actually, when we touched base yesterday, I noticed that uh, you have a very optimistic tone about you. Can I ask, what do you know that the rest of us don't know? Because there's a lot of long faces right now and people wringing their hands. Oh, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? You don't
2: seem particularly bothered. Why is that? Most people fear change, rightfully so. Change, you know, always reflects something different than what we're used to. Um, I foresee that no matter the results of this election, big changes are coming. And I look at those changes in a positive light, in that the change do create opportunities. It can go all bad. I mean, it can really, really go bad, and things can deteriorate to to a level of violence and stuff like that. And we've talked about that before. But I'm so optimistic and hopeful about change being a catalyst to actually get people active and wanting to do something. And as long as that message comes along, that the, the wrong thinker message is coming along to say, hey, here's how you could create things better so that we don't repeat this again, so that we don't continue down this road. And let's use this opportunity for change to make something good out of it.
0: No, I think that's actually that's a very healthy way of approaching it. And as much as I want to believe, well, you know, if we could just settle into this comfortable routine and everything just goes smoothly, you know, a steady ascending course upward to ever greater happiness, prosperity and pleasure. But it never works out that way. And and I've been on the receiving end of being disappointed on Election Day. I don't really feel that I have uh, a particular dog in this fight, although I'm going to confess, I cast my vote for Trump this year. And and I did so because I feel like uh, I, I didn't vote for him in 2016, but I felt that he has actually I, I think he's conducted himself admirably, considering what the office of president is and considering, yes, he's a very flawed human being. Um, he has certainly done no worse than any any of his predecessors and, in fact, has frustrated some of those who really wanted to do a lot worse in terms of, you know, eviscerating our liberties. So for that, I felt like, yeah, my conscience would actually support giving him my vote this time around.
2: I did so, too. And and just like you, I did not vote for him in 2016. Um, So uh, this time around, it's not so much that I became a Trump supporter, per se. And I've, I've brought this out multiple times. I do not look at these guys as being, quote unquote, my guy. And that this is my party, and it's a team sport where you know we got to win because we we like winning. I look at them as just being the, you are my employee. Um, you're you are supposed to do a job for me. I'm going to hire those guys that I feel will do the best job possible. But with that, um, one of the things that I do look at is even though I may philosophically, you know, be inclined to go with another person. I also want to be looking at the person that's going to get the job out of the opportunity of those who can get the job, which one has that chance of getting the job. And will my vote with my, my, my selection of you as you, I want you to be my employee, be that person that will go into it. But having said that, it's always been my philosophy. Hey, I'm just hiring you guy. I'm giving you a four year gig with my company, the United States of America, and you're there to do a job, and I hope you will do a good job. I I feel like i rather hire you than the other guy. But, you know, you were talking about routines, Brian. And, and one of the things that, that that goes with this change is our routine, when it comes to American politics, is insanity. It, it really is an insane, ridiculous way of handling politics where we're saying – Yeah, everybody we're going to vote for are people we don't like, we don't trust, uh, we don't believe them. We think that they are going to do wrong against us, that they're going to take advantage of us, and they're going to make our lives worse. And then we all get together and go, yeah, that's the way we like it. That's the routine. That's that's our norm. (laughs) So let's let's
0: talk about you. You had suggested a couple of different ways we could approach this and one that really caught my eye. I thought this is an idea that probably will be on some people's minds. And that is that sense. Well, I have to choose between two evils and you have a solution to offer as far as voting between two evils. Uh, talk to me about that. How how would you approach that?
2: So this gets into the sanity part of it in that we've accepted that there's only these two ways of going that there, there has to be a Democrat. There has to be a Republican. That is the only options. We recognize that both parties are corrupt, that both parties have problems. And and look, if you're a loyal Democrat, if you're a loyal Republican, I'm not attacking you and I'm not saying you're wrong, but I think we can all recognize that there is a level of corruption within these parties that go beyond the point of being acceptable. And that the outcomes, their outcomes are not necessarily our outcomes, their desires are not necessarily our desires, and their methods are not methods that we would approve. I know that they do a lot of things, and, and, and this might even be a discussion for later on in the show, about certain tactics that they may do that I would not agree with, but they are very comfortable with, and and their philosophy is, whatever it takes to win, um, morals go out the window. Um um, you know, those those codes go out the window. It is whatever I have to do to win, I am willing to do. And and we have to recognize that, that that's what is existing. And we really should be this this choosing of between two evils. We need to stop this. We need to, I mean, how ridiculous is that, is that we accept that. I don't know of anything else there in society where we would accept that, of, of, of going in and saying, well, there's a hundred doctors out there but the two I'm going to pick are the two worst doctors of all the hundred. But those are the two that I'm going to work with. We would never do that in anything else. But when it comes to something as important as people running our lives, and as we just saw in 2020, these guys had made decisions that had traumatic impact on us. And, and we said, yeah, that's cool. You know, we're going to elect people we don't like, we don't trust, and, and we're, going to, we're going to accept the worst, you know, the better of two evils.
0: Well, I, I have to concede because I know there are people who say, well, you know, there's a, there's a difference between, for instance, the Democratic ticket this time around and the uh, Republican. And I would have to agree, yes, one of them has made it very clear that uh, should they be able to attain the levers of power, they are going to screw with me endlessly, and they'll find ways to, to do it. I don't you know, they they may want to screw with my gun ownership. They may want to tax me higher, you know, make make my health care decisions, whatever it is. They've made it clear that, look, if we get the power, we're going to use it to make you do whatever we want you to do. Now, the Republicans do this to a lesser extent. And so I, I have to concede. I'm settling. You know, I'm, I'm definitely settling, you know, by going for the one that's going to leave me alone more than the other. Talk to me about third parties people who are are looking at the idea of, well, I'm going to vote for a third party. What would your advice be to them?
2: I would say as of right now, in the current realm of popular third parties, no, because this is the big issue to me, and this is where I I see the failure. To me, the failure is not with the Republicans and the Democrats. The, The failure is these third parties not putting viable candidates in place. And this year is, is especially true. Um, the Libertarians in 2016 were like, eh, so-so. But this year, they absolutely picked a loser. And, and they picked these loser candidates that have no chance of winning. And it's like, give us a viable alternative, please. Give us. Why can't you compete with Biden and Trump? If you can't compete against those two, there's something terribly wrong.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think most most thinking people would look at, uh, again, the two big ticket candidates and say, that's the best we can do. But it doesn't help when third party candidates and and this is not to say that all third party candidates are, are equally bad. But uh, but the ones who who have the recognition, Joe Jorgensen, for instance, um, not really not really a contender. There's there's nothing inspiring that, that I've seen with, you know, apologies to those who, you know, may have cast their vote for for Joe Jorgensen or one of the others. Let's let's come back to this in a moment to you are you are uh, in a unique position to talk about why third parties should be hoping for a Biden victory. And Gary, that's one I would love to explore with you. Gary Welch is my guest. We'll be back just the other side of these messages.
1: is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show.
0: All right. Welcome back to the show. Gary Welch is my guest. And we're talking about the election. <laughs> it's a big, big surprise. That's what a lot of people are talking about. But I think you're going to find we're talking about this from a little bit different angle than rah, rah, red team, rah, rah, blue team. And, Gary, I really wanted to get your take on why third-party supporters should actually be hoping for a Biden victory. Help me see where the silver lining would be there for, uh, for people who support third parties.
2: So for those who do support these third parties and you're looking at a non-GOP, non-Democrat type of solution, first of all, we got to kind of recognize of what's going on in the third-party world. The Democrats and the liberals, for the most part, do not have a lot of third party organizations. There's basically two out there. One, which is the most popular, is the Green Party. But they really are not standing up as an opposition to the Democrats. They're they're pretty much a one philosophy, environmentalism kind of party in that we're just going to have this one thing that we're going to talk about But the reality of it is, is when you try to separate them from the Democrats, you really can't. And then the others, just the hardcore socialists, you know, that they declare themselves openly as as socialists and they're trying to push a a so-called socialist agenda. But when you start talking about third parties, when you move over to the other side of it, the conservative, libertarian, liberty minded type of individuals, boy, they pop up all over the place, man. I mean, we've got constitution party, the IAP, the libertarian party, the veterans party, you name it, they're all over the place. And that is because I think those of us who like Liberty are, are very well independent. We don't necessarily want to go with the status quo. So the best thing for the majority of the third parties is a GOP meltdown. And, I have been looking at the GOP for a long time. And I, I don't know if you remember there was a game out there once where you would play it and you would roll the dice and you would do things. And then there would be a balloon and you would have to push a pump. One time you push the pump. And it's the same with the removing the tiles from the tower type of scenario where you just keep pushing, keep pushing and it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And you go one more push and this thing's going to blow. I've been looking at the GOP for a long time and saying, Man, one more pump on that bad boy, and this thing's going to blow up. I think a Trump loss, the GOP goes into self-destruction.
0: Wow. Now that will spell both tragedy as well as opportunity, though, for other Correct. parties out there. And and I think there are not just a few people who are thinking, well, it's it's about time. Something has got to give. It's it's in the interest of both the Democrats and the Republicans, as much as they bicker back and forth, as much as they profess, you know, this this terrible animosity towards one another. They are loyal opposition and maintaining the status quo helps both of them, even if they do have to, you know, pass the baton every so often. It still comes down to at least we're meaning the two party system. We're the ones in power.
2: And the big thing is Joe Biden. Joe Biden himself plays such a big part of it because there's like even within the Democrats, I don't think there are real that many true Joe Biden supporters. I think the majority of the Democrats are simply saying, let's get Joe in so we can get Kamala in. He's just a stepping stone to get us there. He was the guy on the ticket. And that's all there is to it. I even within the Democrats, I have not seen this strong support, this strong fight for him, like I saw with Hillary and I, that I saw with Barack Obama. I don't see that with Joe Biden. And so for the Republicans, what happens is they're saying, look what happened. This guy won. This total loser who should have never even been in the race, who should have been a landslide, he took our guy out. And I think that that's going to have major consequences for it, because who's going, who are you going to point the finger at when that happens? You're not going to point it at Trump. You're gonna you're gonna say the deep state Republicans they did this.
0: Interesting. Now, what about uh, what about the question of whether there is fairness being observed in today's election? I mean, I'm already hearing. I just was listening to Joe Kerry's show before I came on, and uh, he was giving numerous accounts, like several different accounts, of uh, some pretty shady sounding stuff taking place in Philadelphia. And and so, there's going to be some questions too about whether the the election process itself can be trusted.
2: Oh, they're bringing this up, Brian. But oh my goodness, come on! What you you you, you are are we all going to drink that Kool Aid that our elections have been honest and open and above board <laughs> up until now? <laughs> yeah that this is a new phenomenon of, of rigged elections in the United States. You know, um, I, I lived on the West Coast for a very long time and those states were very early adopting mail-in voting. And I I, I lived in Washington state for a very long time. And I remember when they brought that on board, um, that was in the early 2000s that they did that. And almost immediately the fraud started. And, and here was the thing that I don't think that most people don't understand was when, when, when the voting fraud started where they have these um, ghost ballots showing up, you know, individuals who were not really there, but they have ballots mailed to, and then the, they go out and collect these and harvest these ballots and send them in. When that started, that was a predominantly a Democrat thing. But the Republicans finally said, enough is enough. We, we got to fight fire with fire. Guess what? They were doing it, too. They, they were just as much involved as they, look, they looked at it saying, hey, if they can do it, we can do it. It's not that hard. It was really easy. It's hard to get caught doing it. And so they were like, yeah, let's go ahead and do it. So to me, it's like, yeah, what's new?
0: Okay. No, fair, fair enough. And, in fact, I was just reading a really good article by Jacob Hornberger. Uh, I think it was yesterday. This landed in my inbox and it was about LBJ and some of the election stealing shenanigans that took place, you know, 50 some years ago under him. So let's talk about it this way then. Um, Let's say that there is no no clear winner. And I think it's probably very likely we're not going to have a clear winner tonight. Even if even if everything looks like it's going one candidate's way, there's probably going to be challenges, including court challenges, lawsuits, and so forth. But um, talk to me about the scenario for there being no clear winner tonight. What do you see likely playing out?
2: I see. Well, so there's going to be a couple of things that we have to take into consideration. And, and be careful with the news media. They're trying to sell their show, so they... <laughs> this whole idea of no clear winner benefits them. You have to also understand because of the way the electoral college is, is done. Not only do you have to prove that there was voting fraud and that those numbers changed the the votes, but you also have to show that if that reverse, so that you get this state versus that state or that, you know, you win this state instead of the other guy, that there's enough electoral votes to make a change in the electoral college. So even if there was voting fraud, but that change doesn't, you know, it only gets you two votes when you needed 15. Okay. Then that's we're we're still going to be pretty much decided on what's going to happen, but it would, it would have to create that scenario where, so now we're, we're looking at just like the 2000 race where it's running down to one state and we have voter fraud in that state. And there is enough there to indicate that there's a different outcome. They're going to fight that out and that and that will obviously go into courts and things like that. But just like it was in 2000, I do feel that whoever they basically announce and say this person won the election, I think for the most part that we're going to see everybody just accept that and go behind it. Okay, I don't see a reversal.
0: We'll uh, we'll touch on the subject of whether or not uh, if Trump wins, does this mean more violence and more conflict? I'm sure you've seen the pictures of, uh, you know, stores uh, boarding up their windows and, and city offices boarding up their windows as well. I like the caption somebody put on. I think it was the Louis Vuitton out, uh, outlet there in Washington, D.C. It says, Ah, looks like Louis Vuitton doesn't feel like giving out free handbags tomorrow night. Oh, well, good to have a sense of humor. Gary Welch is my guest. We'll be back right after this.
1: This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show.
0: All right, welcome back to the show, 801-331-8113. If you'd like to join the conversation, Gary Welch is my guest. And, Gary, I wanted to talk to you about, uh, you know, the prospect for violence if Trump pulls off a win. I thought four years would be enough for the left to kind of get over the shock that, oh, my gosh, he actually pulled it off in 2016. They haven't. In fact, if anything, they've doubled down and made it clear if we don't get what we want this time, The cities are really going to burn. What are your thoughts?
2: So for all the ingenuity of the left, they really are following the same playbook that they've been following since the 1960s. And if you think about that, that's, that's over, you know, 60 years now that they've been following this playbook. So you would have thought that they would have said, Maybe we should change tactics. That it didn't work then; it's not really working now, not at least to the level that we are the dominant party and we're t- and we're pretty much controlling politics. But I have not seen that. I have absolutely seen them committed to this playbook, that, and and it you know it's it's came from the 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 communist type of mentality, the Marxist philosophies and whatnot. They are absolutely committed to that playbook. So I do not see them backing down. I see them escalating. I see them, th- their attitude would be then we didn't do enough. And I, and I, and I kind of see that within like the social justice warriors. The, their whole attitude is not like, well, we should really rethink this and maybe try something different. They are very much of, well, we, that's only because we didn't do enough. We need to ramp it up. OK, I, you know, personally, because I, I live in an area that's that's
0: I, I wouldn't say it's necessarily conservative, but I live in an area where it's things are pretty calm. If I was in the inner city somewhere, I would be extremely nervous. And and particularly in, in some of the major, uh, you know, East Coast cities or Los Angeles, for that matter. Um, I don't oh. know. go Go ahead. Your
2: thoughts. Well, no, I'm I'm. I have a very strong suspicion that their their change in strategy is going to be what they sort of did uh, towards the end of the Black Lives Matters protest and whatnot, which is let's take it out to the suburbia. Let's go into these smaller towns, especially conservative type towns, you know, that these conservative areas and let's show them that they're not safe.
0: Yeah, I think that would be a big mistake. For for a number of reasons, but uh, we'll start with the fact that that's where they're more likely to encounter armed property owners. Who aren't You're be... thinking
2: that they don't want to. Oh,
0: so, so they're, they're ready to, to go ahead and start stacking up some martyrs.
2: Who benefits from that? If you really look at it, who would benefit from a shootout?
0: Well, certainly not the person who has to defend their property. Because you know the law will come after them just like it did the uh, attorney couple there in St. Louis, even though they didn't shoot anybody, just the fact that they showed up outside their home and ordered the trespassing crowd off their property with guns in their hands. Now they're facing felony charges.
2: So one of the personality traits, the um, psychological characteristics of socialists, those who believe in big government, those who believe in the enlightened elite approach— one characteristic that has been predominant in every case and all the time it just proves itself over and over again is that they do not care about others. They are all too willing to sacrifice the, the stupid and the, the ignorant and the beguiled. They're all too willing to, to send those guys out there and say, we're sending you into an armed situation. We know you're going to get killed. We're okay with that because we're not going to do it. We're sending you and i and for the ones who are running this and and controlling it they would be that would be that would be great for them they're not going to get killed they're just going to send their underlings out there and have them get shot and then that's the perfect scenario now we've got this hey it's violent we're shooting at each other we've got to step in
0: that i can see that and i can see where that plays into the hands of the powers that be particularly the ones who are somewhere else sipping lemonade while other people are you know fighting for their lives um, well, it's you know, I didn't want to use the term, but but what you're describing sounds a lot like the useful idiots that uh, that Lenin yes. referred to.
2: Yes. And 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 that's the whole thing is that they they find within themselves these these people that are very idealistic. And they they believe it. It becomes like a religion for them, you know. Just like the early Christians that were willing to throw themselves at the lions and and die for the cause. These people actually do feel that. That they say this is a such a worthy cause. This is such a noble effort. I'm willing to die for it. And these guys are also, you know, just really into it. Like, yeah, we love you. We want you. You know, terrorist organizations. They do the exact same thing. And I, I feel it's like the same mentality. You know, it's the same kind of people running it in a different way. They're just having different methodology of how they do that. But it's always that willingness to sacrifice others for their own gain. You, you, when you looked at those terrorist organizations, you know, the guys at the top they were never strapping bombs to themselves. They were not strapping bombs to their kids. They they weren't out there shooting at at, at armed soldiers and whatnot. No, they were always sending somebody else out there to do that dirty work for them. I think this group is in that same mindset. I mean, I, I've already said that, you know, groups like Antifa is a terrorist organization. Why wouldn't they have a terrorist mindset?
0: Interesting. It's been fascinating to watch the police departments that have been told stand down, Or, you know, have otherwise had their hands tied when it comes to dealing with some of the people doing violence. Um, You don't see that shifting power out of the hands of those municipal governments that, that have sat back and let people's property be, you know, abused.
2: It's a gambit on those politicians that are doing that because there there could be the big backlash. And this is, again, where I talk about crises bringing change. Where it could be a change for the good because of that. I do know, I I always say that governments and politicians go to the failure point. They don't know when to stop. You know, where we can stop it right here, right now, and we will achieve our results and we will get what we want out of it. They always go, well, let's take it to the next level. Let's take it to the next level. Let's take it to the next level, all the way until the, the whole thing falls and collapse. And then they go, wow, what happened? We, I didn't see, see that coming. But yet that has just been the way it's been done. And so I do expect them to do that, that they will just the, – these governors that in that are working for these kind of causes – I see them not putting the National Guard in place. I see them hindering police efforts to stop this because they're going to say, let's take it to this next level. Let's take it to this next level. And hopefully what we'll create out of this is that I can declare this martial law scenario and take over and take charge, not realizing it could have a backlash. Now, the other side of it, they may get away with it.
0: Interesting. That's kind of the worst case scenario, at least uh, to, to my thinking. So let me, let me ask you this, Gary. Is this the worst election in recent memory? I think you've seen a couple more elections that I have. Tell me, uh, tell me your thoughts. Is this, is this one of the worst? Does it even rate among the, the top five worst elections of your lifetime?
2: No, and, and I think a lot of people are looking at I do. I will say this, and I've, I've said it several times already. I do believe Joe Biden ranks as one of the top worst candidates that have ever ran as far as his qualifications, uh, characteristics, leadership abilities, politics, the whole thing. I think he, is, he, he absolutely ranks up there as one of them. But no, this election in itself is not necessarily the worst of the two that are, are appearing. But again, it goes to the point of, do, do we have really clear-cut examples anymore? I mean- Really, when was the last time where you felt like there was such a clear, decisive choice? I, I think some Trumpers would probably say this is that case for them, but I don't believe the majority of Americans have felt that way in a very, very long time.
0: Well, and again, to to echo what Chris brought up on the show yesterday, um, however well intentioned Trump may be, and I and I think he's in some ways done a pretty admirable job considering the the opposition he had before he was ever elected. But the, the system itself is what's rotten and that the corruption and the rot of that system remains regardless of whether or not the person who occupies 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue changes. So there, there has to be some at some level, you know, we have to talk about how are we going to fix that? And maybe that's what you and I can touch on when we come back here. The other side of the break. Are, are you game to, oh, I don't know, solve the country's problems in 10 minutes or less?
2: Well, I can say it with one word be, or two, be a wrong thinker, three words, be a wrong thinker. It's going to take wrong thinking if we're going, what, we, what we've classified as wrong thinking, if we're going to make that change.
0: Absolutely. A willingness to to depart from the comfort of doing things the way we've always done it and maybe look at a, a different way. Okay, Gary Welch is my guest. We'll be back. Just the other side of these messages.
1: This is The Brian Hyde Show.
0: This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. Our program is brought to you in part today by Nikki's Wholesale Food Warehouse. Yeah, my boy and I are just about to embark on a little adventure, and, and Nikki's is a key part of the adventure we're about to have. We're going to smoke us a brisket. And this is the first time we've, we've tried to smoke one up like this. So it's, it's exciting. I, I'm not telling you this to brag. I'm telling you this because uh, Nikki's makes it possible for me to support what would otherwise be a very expensive habit, that being barbecuing, cooking with fire. But because they are a food wholesaler, and they purchase their food from food wholesale warehouses. They pass the savings on to you. They can stretch your grocery dollar where you can actually justify a treat every so often. In this case, uh, my son actually uh, saved up, bought the brisket himself. He wants a pra- he wants a practice run because when family comes for Thanksgiving, this is what we're going to do. We're going to cook, a- cook up a brisket for Thanksgiving. And I'll tell you right now, if you are uh, if you are someone who wants to stock your freezer with great frozen meats. Nikki's Wholesale Food Warehouse in Salt Lake City has a selection that is absolutely worth your time. Best thing you can do is go onto Facebook. That's Nikki's N-I-C-K-E-Y-S, Wholesale Food Warehouse. Subscribe to their page. You'll see updates a couple times a week. They have pictures of everything new that's come in, and you can go check them out. The directions are right there on their Facebook page. All right, Gary, it's Election Day. I think we've we've analyzed a lot of the different aspects of this election. The truth, of course, is... Nobody really knows what's going to happen, um, and we, we probably won't even for maybe a couple of days. But let's talk about fixing the system itself, because I don't think this is going to be a matter of Democrats are going to get it right, or finally the Republicans are going to get it right. The system itself is in need of some some readjustment. Where would you begin?
2: So let's start with with what happened to you on your show when that individual said, hey, nothing's going to change. The reaction to that and I think that's where we start because that is a a a, um, a mindset that you have where you're sitting there saying, this is my guy. this is my I support this guy right or wrong. Um, I don't see anything wrong with him I cannot I cannot envision him doing anything wrong. He has to be right and he has to be right all the time. And to me that's like why are you doing that? We are all human beings. We all have, you know, fa- you know, these failures within us. We all have behaviors that are not always right. We always we we're going to make bad decisions. Why does that change? Because you happen to be a politician. And so this is where the wrong thing comes in. This is how wrong thinking can solve this problem and help us out. And that is we stop looking at these individuals, even if they're your guy, quote unquote, if they're from your party, it does not matter. You have to look at them as they are in reality. And let's take a look at Donald Trump. His past has not been as conservative as he has been since 2016 or when he started his run in 2015. The man before 2015 was very different than the man we're seeing now. And we shouldn't just simply say, well, we're going to forget all that. We're not going to acknowledge all that, that we're going to simply say that doesn't exist because it can come up. He is going to be a lame duck president. He has nothing to gain. There's no chance for him to get reelected. And if he simply says, you know what? My loyalty to the Republican Party is not all that great. They weren't very loyal to me. I'm going to just go ahead with my agenda. We may see. I'm not saying that he would. There's there's a, there's some things that might stop him from that. But it's not beyond the realm of of impossibility. You know, you just cannot say, well, that's impossible. You won't do that. Wrong thinking says. I look at that individual in the reality of who he is and what he is, and. I'm I'm sitting there sitting there saying if he does, I'm willing to address it.
0: Okay. No, I I think that's a that's a pretty fair approach. Um, what about uh, looking at the the local level? Because I think sometimes we get really hyper focused on what's happening, you know, in the White House. And and frankly, look, I'm guilty of this today too because I'm watching. who's going to win? Who's going to win? As if that matters the most. But uh, I think realistically. What is taking place right in my own backyard has more impact. And actually, I think I have more influence regarding that. What are your thoughts on being involved in local governance?
2: So I'll I'll I'll, um, attack this from two different angles. One is most people think that their local governments are not as corrupt as state and national. And in that, you are 100% wrong and you need to do a 180. Because most likely they are more corrupt than your state and national organizations or institutions because there's less focus on them. Nobody pays attention to what's going on in your city council meeting. When was the last time you went to a city council meeting? When was the last time you watched the agenda? When was the last time you listened to the recording if they put it up on YouTube or anything like that to your city council meeting? Nobody's watching them. And, and if you don't think that they know that and they're not taking advantage of that, you are absolutely wrong. I've been to those city council meetings. I've watched them. I pay attention. And I'm telling you right now, they are corrupt as corrupt can be. They, they have their agendas. They have their donors that they are trying to appease. They have the people that they want to promote. And they do not mind foisting on you high taxes and, and taking away your liberties to promote those agendas. But the second part of this is just what you mentioned, Brian, the, the most impact you're going to have on your life is from your local government. The, the president of the United States, really, when you get down to it and when we really look at what his job is and what, what the Constitution gives him the power to do, he has very minimal impact on your life. Ninety nine percent of the things that you have to deal with in your life is coming from your local government. And if you're not paying attention to that, and if we're not putting a focus on that, we should. Now, Brian's got a book called True Capitalism. I'm going to do a plug here. Okay. Brian's got a book called True, you know, um, Embracing Capitalism, and he talks about a concept called True Capitalism. And we, we we use the word True Capitalism because what we call capitalism nowadays is nothing like capitalism. But in that book, Brian talks about this thing about we should put emphasis on our local. Governments, And that's where we should start looking at where we want to make change. It's a lot easier. It costs a lot less money. If you are a person that says you want to make change, you know, but you don't have the money and income to become president of the United States, you don't have the millions of dollars to become a senator, you can become a city councilman, you can become a school district individual, you know, on the school board. You can be someone like that and institute change within that little area. But here's the thing. What if we did this? What if we took the approach of, all right, let's focus on our city. Let's change that. Now let's focus on our county. Let's change that. All within the realm of being easily done. Doesn't cost a lot of money. Doesn't take a lot of people. But all of us do that. And then all of a sudden, every county in your state has changed and become something different, become something that is not corrupt. And one of the things we do is we apply these wrong thinking principles of of the big one to me is let's hold our let's hold our government officials accountable. I think that's one of the big things. When you get into this mentality that this is my boy and this is my I support them 100 percent right or wrong, you lose accountability. And we have that's like the first thing that we must we establish is that accountability. But what happened if we did that at this local level? And now all your counties, your, all your counties have these accountable politicians that are thinking the right way. What a fundamental change in America would that make?
0: No, I see your point. I see your point. It's um, uh, but shifting people out of. That uh, that mode where, you know, anything that that the media is telling them, which in, invariably focuses on national level politics, uh, seems to be what holds their attention. And I, I, it's hard to say this because this means I would be encouraging people as well to consider turning off me and my show. And, you know, but I think people need to take a break from the media. I really think they need to unplug every so often just to do a little gut check and see if the world still doesn't look normal without All the scary stuff being blared at you 24-7. Does that make sense?
2: Well, I always take an attitude with the media. Listen, but don't believe. Pay attention. You want to pay attention, but don't just accept it wholesale like, oh, that is the truth or is that the only way it can be? We always should be looking, especially nowadays, we should always be looking at media like government with a certain amount of distrust, with a certain amount of, of, you know, objectivity. And how we review things so yeah you know pay attention to the presidential race obviously and it's exciting it's fun it's good entertainment but at the end of the day pay attention to your mayor that's the guy who's gonna have impact on your life
0: right and and don't forget to pay attention to the other parts of your life that aren't political because right now it seems like everything is and and I think a lot of people are, are gonna be more deeply emotionally invested than maybe they have to be it's a choice Gary, thank you so much for being my guest today. Great, as always, to talk with you. And I guess we'll we'll touch base again and see how this all shakes out.
2: Yeah, the next Tuesday is going to be pretty interesting, isn't it?
0: I think it will. Thanks again for joining us. Don't forget to check out the show notes at BrianHideshow.com. We'll see you back here tomorrow.
1: This is The Brian Hyde Show.